Hello, and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diochis to Yazdegerd III. I'm Sariel, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Umberto, and my pronouns are he, him. And I am Plumas, and my pronouns are she, her. Hello, Plumas, welcome. Hello, Plumas. <laughs> Hello, Sariel and Umberto. So good to have you Lovely to have you as a guest, once again. L- lately, I've been saying that sentence, Umberto and Sariel, or Sariel and Umberto from So You Think You Can Rule Persia podcast so many times. <laughs> I am very glad to be here. I missed you, yes. guys. Oh, we, we missed, missed you too. too very much. I'm so glad that you had some time to join us again and have a combined episode. I'm excited. Yes. For those of you that don't know, just to explain who Plumas is and where she comes from. Well, Plumas is is at the head of the Las Plumas de Simurg project, which is a (laughs) bilingual English and Spanish project, uh, which she shares her love and interest for the area of Iran and the Persianate and Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she is an actual historian, unlike us. She has a PhD in art history, so she, is she certified. knows what she's talking about. So that's good. Apparently I am, yeah. And uh, thank you for the lovely introduction. And it's always great to find other projects to share. I think this is something I, I said already the first time we did a combined episode. But I just love all the creators to be here talking about also the Iranian plateau and the Persianate. Because... It's not that many of us, so we must stick together. Yes, all all friendly, all tied together, which is nice because, you know, there's lots of nice people there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'd hope. I don't know. The ones I've met have been nice. We'll see. Yeah, same. Oh, you were talking about all the content creators. I was thinking about the people in question. Like, oh, no, no. The The kings are not necessarily nice. They are. Exactly. they I've are seen, interesting. I've seen uh, your your charts. <laughs> I, I know the ranks. I yes. <laughs> Listen, we your give favorite points. is still winning. We do give points for being absolutely terrible. So what could you expect? Then that's the reason why that Ayavush is still crowning <laughs> the, the top. Is yes. I hope he doesn't go away. I, I'm scared for him now that the Shapurs are coming, but uh, we yeah, will see. Yeah, but... Oh, give me some drama, well, please. Khosro, Shapur, oh, yeah. it's, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still it's rooting for that, uh, you know, Akimani team always. We'll it's definitely going to be up there, but uh, we'll see how far he sits. Uh, But yeah, so for today's episode, just to introduce everybody on what we're going to be doing, we're going to be talking about Mazdaism, because... Now that we're going into the Sassanid period, religion is going to be a lot more important than it has been previously. It's going to involve a lot of kings. The priesthood is going to be very relevant. So I thought it was worth inviting Plumas on so that she can tell us a bit about what is Mazdaism? What does it mean? Why does it matter that these people follow? So wait, Umberto, we're not rating a king today, are we? No, I mean, we, we can break your Zatos if you want to, although there's, there's <laughs> That's a winner. That's a separate thing. <laughs> there's already a winner because he naturally is. He was conceived to be so. So I can give <laughs> well, you a I mean, top of many, this one. Uh, Very exciting. A lot of the... What is this called? The 
literature about a king or the myth about a king. Most of them have some sort of, ah, yes, you get to rule by divine uh, power. So I don't know how Oh, yeah, the, the Far is the, the Kharinar is there, definitely. The Far yeah. is this divine glory to rule, ever present in the Shahnameh and ever present in Sasanian sources as well, because Yay. they do love that concept. And um, yes. also, but yeah, Umberto was right. The Sasanians, it's not that they were more spiritual than other dynasties, because that would be, I believe, a little bit incorrect a little bit brave to just admit that because we have written sources about the practicing of spirituality during the Sasanians that doesn't imply that all the dynasties pay less attention to their own spirituality especially regarding the Parthians the Seleucs or the Achaemenids definitely in these early societies in ancient Iran spirituality um, is the way of people connecting with the world, with the surroundings, with the questions that we all make ourselves at some point in our lives. Where do we come from? Why are we here? Is there something else after? And so and so. But it's true that the Sasanians are known for expressing more vividly, at least um, verbalizing, putting into words much more in, in much more an intense form the, the sacrality of the many different uh, religions they practice because Mazda Yasna was only one of them. Uh, this is something, I think it was something important to say from the beginning mm -hmm. that Zoroastrianism or Mazdaism, we'll get into the debate yes. of why it's saying <laughs> one thing or the other. It's, it's okay. It's it's not something, it's not wrong seeing Mazda Yasna. It's not wrong seeing Zoroastrianism. It's it's okay. But um, what I was saying is that it was not only the only religion under the Sasanians in in the ruling areas. So I'm avoiding so intensely saying the word empire because I have a friend <laughs> that would kill me if I say Sasanian oh, no. empire. Oh. It's it's a beef we have. I use empire for almost everything and he doesn't like it. So I need to okay. have that debate with him. It Can like, you okay, go a bit more the into word that, empire. Actually? Why would that be yes, incorrect? It's... Or why is that incorrect in his... Uh opinion he has a point because the imperator is a roman title right. and he it has it would be as me scolding someone for calling simorga phoenix okay. phoenix is a word imperator is mm -hmm. a word with attached specific circumstances and an imperator has an imperium there's some subtleties about the fact that about that word that i don't control but basically is that that imperium is it needs different um circumstances to be correct and basically what we use empire for is just a big expansion of land Under ruled the by the same rule. person yes, yes. yeah mm. exactly like the mongol empire the yuan empire the sasanian empire the Visigothic empire right but then I guess you could so, argue is that is just one of the definitions of the word. So there's the more technical definition of is applied to this particular, um, you know, the Roman Empire, which is where the word mm -hmm. came from. Or there's the definition that it has acquired after some time, which is we just use it to describe a big expanse of land under one ruler. Exactly. I think that that is exactly correct. Also, I... I have to admit that I like to use the original words, so to say, if they are. For example, 
I refer to the Sasanids as a dynasty because that's what they were. Same with the Achaemenids or same with the Parthians. You know, it's just um, instead of saying the Achaemenid Empire or the Persian Empire, please don't say the Persian Empire. There's multiple Persian empires out there. <laughs> that makes sense. And as I, we're discovering I, in this yeah. podcast. Exactly. If you follow, if you've done your homework and you follow up to the date, so you think you can rule Persia, you've discovered this far that there's not just one Persian Empire. And all your books and magazines and video games and films that talk about <laughs> the Persian Empire, they should provide a date because there's many. <laughs> we have changed cultures. Lot. We have changed, of course, rulers. Uh, and yeah, I like to be quite honest, I sometimes struggle a lot whenever I do see things related to like the Persian Empire, because now I know a bit about it. And like, so I, and so I'm just confused because I'm like, well, do you mean the Hellenistic, like Macedonian empire? Do you mean the Parthians? Do you mean the OG Persian, like very early and you know, and then I'm like, yeah. I am confused. <laughs> I am very glad you're in my team for this now, because when people ask me, oh, what can you tell me about the Persian empire? Which one? <laughs> Are you talking Achaemenids, yeah. Sasanians, Safavids? The Karakoyulu, the Khanids, like there's people there. So, <laughs> but you know, let's yeah, try also um, not to be pedantic about it. I feel like the people who, not that you're being pedantic, but yeah. I'm just like, I can see myself being like, mm, well, actually, the Persian Empire shouldn't be called an <laughs> empire. Um, I mean it more in the sense of. But well, do you have, do you have this feeling? I I think, generally. When people refer to the Persian Empire and talk about the Persian Empire, they're mostly talking about the Achaemenids. That's usually that's the way I. And was I mean, normally taught, at least it will be, school. yeah, unless they specify and say the Romans. So you maybe they could be mm. referring to the Sasanians. I have this feeling that in in uh, called like pop culture, when you say the Persian mm. Empire, you're talking about the Achaemenids. Yeah, that's usually what I've seen. I as well. Because the Greek or Persian wars. Nobody remembers yeah. the Seleucids or the Parthians. <laughs> the Sometimes the Sasanids, but <laughs> the you Seleucids. do. You remember the Seleucids. <laughs> remember them. They were good times. Were they? Well, they were. They had. A, they had elephants. We had some good times. They, they for sure, sure were there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I think mostly they refer to Persian Empire in contrast with. The Macedonian Empire and Iskandar. Yes. Because there was one empire and then Iskandar came and then there was another empire. Yeah. So, but yeah, so in in this case, I think it would be a very interesting debate, like using that word or not. I fear that I could not bring anything to a table though regarding the word empire. I use, use it because it's comfortable. Yeah. But, but other people might have very interesting things to, to bring to the conversation be it in favor or against. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing to think about, at least. Cool. Also, um, circling um, back for a moment to what we were talking about before, which I found really, really interesting, Blumas, as you were mentioning, that while we're here now to talk about uh, religion in this particular um, era, that, of course... Um, the time period before also could have had uh, major religious practices and it's not necessarily that now the people living in uh, under this rule this new dynasty 
suddenly became more religious or were forced to be more religious, but it's that we have the records to show it because obviously we only know mm -hmm. what we have uh, some sort of, you know, notes about, as we very well yeah. know from uh, a lot of um, a lot of rulers where we have no sources and therefore we are very much like yeah something happened in this period i guess yeah this person was there yeah <laughs> yeah something must have happened you know people must have had their <laughs> lives and and culture must have changed and you know um battles must have been fought but we can't really know yeah and of course i think it's really interesting that now um religion comes to be or this particular religion comes to be a part of the government, uh, the government in like a more specific way, in the sense of mm -hmm. the rulers choose to make this a key component of um, how would you say this? A key component of the what of makes self-defining narrative. Yes, exactly. What defines being part of. Uh, of this kingdom or of this empire, right? Like what? The yeah, their identity. Exactly, the identity. Very closely. It's a, it's a huge yeah. part of the identity, the national or the well, not national because it's not a country, but you know the. Um, no, yeah, but their their own their own vision of a nation of the territory, exactly. the influence is religion mm -hmm. plays a major part, which it didn't and before. Before it was like, well, it, yeah. everyone has their own religion and their own practices, or at least we do not have the records that show that this was. Uh, a huge part of the identity of these people. In fact, the identity mm -hmm. was that everyone was free to practice whichever religion they wanted to practice most of the time. And they were... Yeah. The, you know, the, yeah. It was a very diverse... The, um, yeah. And we know the, the Achaemenid kings because we have evidence, written evidence from Xerxes and Dedayabush and Artaxerxes that they believed in Ahura Mazda and we yes. have inscriptions in Persepolis Correct. praising Ahura Mazda and uh, there's definitely a spiritual component but truth to be told in comparison to all the dynasties and all the cultures that came later the Ekamanis were not so adamant about their own religion you may say apparently Xerxes was a very spiritual man Xerxes was slightly more than others but yeah but, yes uh, because he is general. a pan de dios he's a pan de dios misunderstood <laughs> by everyone out there I'm going to defend Xerxes until the very day I die <laughs> <laughs> but what we have now is a new we could even dare to say and please with pinzas uh, with a pinch of salt this a new social class which mm -hmm. is the priesthood, exactly. And this did not really happen before because there were priests, but, but they were not so well organized. And also, if you guys are interested and also the listeners of the podcast, there's an open article, but Philip Cre Creyenborg, I'm really sorry, I don't know how to pronounce that surname, but it's, uh, it's a really nice article to read. It's called Zoroastrianism under the Sassanids. And it's on academia.edu. So I could send it to you if you, you want to share this it. with the people. Yes. Thanks, because really because nice. it's, um, it's it is fantastic. I will send you guys the link. And um, and yeah, it's a, there's a presence of, of these new 
society group, which is the the Maggie or the priests, and um, they they have things to say about the managing of the society because they had money. They had money and they no. had the power. This, this is as simple as it is. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I think it's very interesting to to understand, like, as a period. But to me, I would really like to think, what is it exactly you want to focus on? Because there's two, I feel there's two dimensions of this episode. One is the, tr like, the religion with sources and mythology and world building. Yes, you can use the word the word world building for yes. talking about religion and mythology. It's not just fantasy appropriate. <laughs> there was world building before Tolkien, Sanderson, and <laughs> makes sense. And Song of Ice and Fire, exactly. Of course, that's that's what and, mythology uh, is all about. That's what the religion is all about. It, is, it tends to uh, it wants to implement certain moral values and also give you an idea of like where the world came from and why you're in it and where you're going to go once you're no longer in it that's mm -hmm. yeah exactly i couldn't say it in a better way so or the role like the role of this religious class in society which is something i control a little bit less but i can give you good sources on <laughs> yes no i think that right now so the list of questions that we had so far were mostly around the world building so what exactly happens and then there are a few things about how the priesthood and the religion in general interact with uh, the Sassanids. And uh, we'll, we will be able to cover those more in depth during the actual, when we find the actual kings. Like there are, there, we're getting close to a lot of stuff. The real so kings. So I'm very excited. Yes, that'll be, the that'll real, be exciting. The real kings, but, not, uh, not those yeah. we've had so far, which are all fake and made up, right, guys? According, according to the according Sasanians, to the yes. <laughs> that's the thing. According to the Sasanians, everything prior to them didn't is... count. Exactly. <laughs> it's just we're, re we're restarting. We're re yeah, we're resetting the clock. And now is when history begins. I with see. Us now. Yeah. Even In though fact, they did they, they... Quote, uh, or they did try to grab legitimacy from like back in the day was it all the way to, uh, to like they're trying to, Cyrus to go the back to the Achaemenids and yeah. or for them it's the Kyanid kings okay. it's not uh they're, they're trying to say it. oh yes we were the second cousin three times removed of the rise the last so that's why we were actually in charge but think of it this way and this is fascinating and yes i am opening the book of kings drawer <laughs> because duh <laughs> Think about it this here. way. The power move, as Ariel was putting it, was so powerful that nobody knew the Achaemenes were a thing. They were forgotten oh. for centuries, for almost millennia, they were forgotten. And they were the Kyanids, because that is the way the Sasanians had described them, the oh. Kyanid kings. And this is the way they appear in the Avesta. This is the way they appear in the Cholainame. And this is the way they appear in the Shahname, because... To them, the Sasanians were, were so self-entitled to a construction of the world that they erased dynasties prior to them. They cherry-picked what they required in order to build up their own, say it with me, self-defining narrative. Mm -hmm. And they did. 
And That's this is the base for the Book of Kings. <laughs> I'm going to clap away from the microphone because it's, so it's just... <laughs> this is so powerful literature-wise and culture-wise. That's incredible. Also, sometimes I, I get questions. I know that the, the Parthians in the Book of Kings, Azizam, the Achaemenids <laughs> barely made it. The Parthians yeah, were a myth. Very difficult. <laughs> the Parthians were, were straight up just erased. Just burnt to the ground. They're on a mural being defeated. That's their only source. Yeah, I... they are. Uh, what's, what's the the name of the palace in Togdiana? Yeah, Panzigen. They just appeared, smashed under the hoofs of yeah, Rostam's exactly. horse. Like that, that is a Parthian. That being <laughs> smushed there yes. into mashed potatoes. That one's a Parthian. <laughs> That's fascinating. I am trying to recover from the fact that right now I feel like I am in a science fiction narrative where I got to live history as it was and then jumped into an alternate universe where nobody remembers what actually <laughs> happened except the main protagonist and like the audience who's following along. And so now I have all of this information of all of these other kings and I'm coming into a society that doesn't think that that's how it happened anymore. And that actually... It's incredible. Because of that, we also didn't know that that's how it happened for a long time, I guess, until we actually discovered more sources, which I don't know how we did that. I... Yeah, it's incredible. We did discover many. That's why the part is so incredible. I mean, Persepolis even changed his name. It's called Tarte Jamshid, the throne of Jamshid, who is Yima from the Avestan sources. That is mental. You are assuming that this magnificent city was built by a king who commanded both Daeva and, well, sorry, Div and angels and mm. made the gene and, and the Div work to build this city because you're not able to understand or like the, um, the cultural heritage is not telling you that there was actually another dynasty that lived here. Right. Because the way we do history is completely different now. And of course, that's why the first Assyrians were like, mm, yeah, people did things. They're not that important, but they were. there was a king that, like Umberto was saying, I was related to mm -hmm. from my mother, <laughs> my mother's sister, who was married to another. And it's like, what? What? What, what is your lineage connection again? It doesn't really matter. Like, I am somebody of importance because i'm pretty sure some things translated into the cultural background meaning there was there was something there mm -hmm. in the legitimacy of this cause but also and this is me rambling you can cut this if you want to <laughs> now that i think of it there's so many cultures from the Achaemenids to the sasanians the jump is so great that the time lapse is very very big yeah, so imagine how the cultural discourse of legitimacy was modified and enriched with all the traditions that they didn't know it was just there. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I just, I really like this topic. And the Kayanids, <laughs> the, 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 the non-existent Kayanid kings is like, ah. Uh. It's fascinating. I mean, Fedeidun is a Kayanid. Come on. It's lovely. <laughs> Hello, this is Editing Plumas and I realized once we finished the episode that I said something that is 
terribly, terribly wrong regarding the dynasties of the Shoran army. I was mistaking the Pishtadian dynasty with the Kayanian dynasty and naming kings as Kayanian that add, in fact, Pishtadian. So let me explain very quickly how it goes. The first mythical a primordial dynasty in the Shahnameh is the Pishtadian dynasty and to it belong kings such as Kayumars, Hoshang, Tahmuras and so on. But after Gershas being the last member of the Pishtadian dynasty and these mythical kings, we move to the Kayanian dynasty, which starts with Kaikobad and follows with all the kings like Kaikavuz, Kaikhosro, Kailohrasp. You can identify these kings because they always have the Kai, meaning ruler, at the beginning of their name. So I was actually saying praising the Pishtadian dynasty, but made it very, I'm just, I was got confused and uh, mixed, mistook them for the Pishtadian, for the Kayanians. So sorry for that. And hopefully this makes the point a little bit clearer. Thank you, Umberto, for allowing me to include this digression, <laughs> these fede ratas in the episode. And if you don't know, I'm not sick. I'm not, this is not a cough. I am listing kings from the Shahnameh. <laughs> you should really read it. You lovely people, lovely listeners of the podcast, you have access to translated Shahnameh. Read them, please. Also, Pumas does some lovely readings of the Shahnameh, so, so you should definitely go and check those out. Right. If you don't want Thank to. Thank you. I rumble a lot. If you don't I feel like reading it yourself, or you'd rather process. Uh, information in audio form since you're listening to this podcast right now that's a great suggestion yes with somebody oh, giving you, you very useful and entertaining con context yeah it's it really varies because i can i might i seen my my registry can go from a really detailed explanation and why it is important that a king dismounts and walks towards another king to call everyone in the scene, Mama Lanzimo, <laughs> and just go about it. It's just the... to learn some lovely Spanish <laughs> that's, that's words. That's what so, you are. What's yeah. to love? Oh, yeah, for oh. sure. They So far, so far, they know Mamarracho and uh, Pan de Dios. <laughs> because say Abosh was a Pan de Dios. Yes, pan de Dios is excellent. God's bread, <laughs> literally um, translated. Yes. yes. The yeah. bread of God, which means someone is really, really good, like pure righteous good and must be protected from everything <laughs> could never uh, do something yeah wrong. so i yeah <laughs> <laughs> ever yeah so i guess we could start with a bit of the world building so if you if plumas you could give us a basic overview of what what is the mazdan worldview why is that a complicated question please tell us who is okay. a mazda what is going on explain i know nothing <laughs> <laughs> So first, like off microphone, I was asking Sarah and Umberto what they really want me to answer because it is a little bit tricky learning about the the world building of the Zoroastrian mythology and religion because the sources are very, very spread. Be Let me put this in a different way. Zoroastrianism was already be being practiced during the Achaemenids and the Parthians, it was not a new religion the Sasanians just picked up or invented. That's the reason we call it Mazda Yasna, because literally that translates as Yasna, the religious, the, the liturgy of the religious performances of Mazda, 
who is Ahura Mazda, the wise lord, the head of the Zoroastrian pantheon. In this early stage, some people, some scholars deem a little bit more correct in Mazdaism because the presence of Ahura Mazda is super important, is very relevant, is always there. And later with the Sasanians, it's not that the presence of Ahura Mazda fades away because he doesn't, he's the head of the pantheon, he is the absolute deity of it. But with the influence of other monotheistic religions that have a, the figure of a prophet, being Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, this, this prophet, who is uh, Zarathustra uh, or Zoroaster, or Zarathustra, yes. as we yeah, say in, in German, that one. So I, the, uh, to me, the, the Persian one is the beautiful one because it's Zarathustra. It sounds very powerful. <laughs> but if you say Zoroaster, which is a Greek form, is also very correct. And everyone else is going to understand you. So it's these figure gains more and more relevance and the, the, the liturgy changes considerably. Again, we're talking about centuries of a religion evolving. And a little side note, what I think is one of the most beautiful things about Zoroastrianism is that it is still alive because it's still a religion that's practiced. So we're talking about religion that has a millennia wow. of existence. This is a, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's existed for thousands of years. At these earlier stages that I was talking about with the Achaemenids and perhaps also the Seleucs and the Parthians, some people estimate a little bit better to call it Mazdaism for the importance lane it, that, that was uh, put in Ahura Mazda. Then from Sasanians onwards, we use Zoroastrianism, but do not feel overwhelmed with all these terms. Zoroastrianism is correct. Mazdaism is also correct. And Mazayasna is describing literally what you're doing is also correct. And it is the original word they use. So don't worry, any of them are fine. And this millennia, <laughs> this millennia-based religion was ever-changing. And it is, only, it is only with Sasanians that there's a joint effort between the authorities and these priests we were talking about before to put all these sources like uh, written down, like, to sit down and really write all the all the sacred texts because they existed before, but they were mostly orally translate, uh, transmitted. Sorry, why is that? Why do people not write down what they need to repeat they, in the liturgy? Because they remember. See, this tends to happen a lot in religion, where we we as in the future you know civilizations lose a lot of context because a lot of it is never written down. Most of it, like purposefully, never written down. Yeah, it's sometimes, um, this is something I like to remind also in my streams or when I talk to people is that sometimes civilizations or cultures don't make use of a tool because they don't require it, they don't need it, but they know it exists. For instance, we know the Achaemenids <laughs> knew how to write. We have multiple sources written by them, but we don't have sacred texts. Why? One of the reasons could be because they didn't need it, because the liturgy was performed orally and constantly. So the priests and the people attending, they didn't require to read what they had to say. They how knew. wouldn't you know this, yeah. that everyone knows? As... Like, have you been living yeah. under a rock? What are you, exactly. What do you mean? <laughs> and then with the Sasanians is where we have these first form of the sacred text, which we call Avesta. 
And there's multiple arrestas and there's multiple world buildings and multiple descriptions of the world because these started around roughly the 6th century mm -hmm. and it continues on until the 12th, the 13th oh. and the 14th century. So there's a lot of incorporations. And the farther they go in time, the, the more you can see this influence of the monotheistic religions. And this is how Zoroastrianism was transformed from a very early stage in which it was more order facing chaos, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It was not a confrontation. It was just a coexistence of the two concepts. People understood that in order to be alive mm -hmm. had to be death. The sun needed a moon and so and so. So this cyclical view of the world transforms slowly but steadily. It opens and converts in a straight line with a beginning and an end. Why? Because monotheistic religions believe in a timeline that is that straight line. So I'm really sorry for all this very long explanation. I'm trying to recoger cable. I'm, I'm trying to... to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Ahura Mazda is the head of the Pantheon. First question to be asking ourselves, can we say that Zoroastrianism is the first monotheistic religion that ever existed? No, Zoroastrianism is not monotheistic. It never was. Not even today. And I, I know practicing Zoroastrians. <laughs> they they say it is more. Now it could be considered monotheistic because in here we opened a debate. Is Christian, is Catholicism, Catholicism um, monotheistic given that there's so many saints and mm -hmm. figures to worship? This is something that we call henotheism. In henotheism, there is a major primordial deity. In this case, Ahura Mazda. This deity is at the top of everything and behind every question, he's the answer to it. But underneath him, there's all the deities that are worth of worshipping. In fact, this is what their name translates as, worth of worshipping, means Yazata. Beautiful word. And also there's the Amesha Spenta, who we can talk a little bit more about if you want to. So what, what I want what I want the listeners to understand is that there were multiple deities that were being worshipped. Therefore, we cannot talk about monotheism. Not even after. Because with the Sasanians, given that this is where you are in the podcast, these other deities are going to gain so much popularity. And the Sasanians have their favorites. <laughs> and you've seen, you've seen them. You've seen her already, because I know you have. <laughs> and um, these all the deities, these Yazatas, gained more and more popularity and had their own temples and places of worship, and you can find them on the sources. So we have this pantheon, very rich, full with people. There's a lot of people there. There's, I think, 100 plus oh, Yazatas wow. because everything, <laughs> yeah, e every concept can be a Yazata. <laughs> and then we have the six immortals and Ahura Mazda. And um, if you want to read a little bit more about world building, there's a beautiful book. It's called The Bundahism. Mm. And The Bundahism is literally an encyclopedia of creation. And it tells you about these places in this collective imagined geography in which the forces of life and nature exist. 
and also tells you that in Zoroastrianism they believe the world was like a box <laughs> of chocolates. Sorry, in uh, possibly. I mean, since we are inside the box and chocolate is inside the box and exists with us, it it is technically a box of chocolates. <laughs> but the sky was like a lid oh. that closed. Okay, I I'm not making this up. <laughs> no, I, swear. I mean. And underneath there was water, but in the middle was also water. And then you have the seven climates, which the Sasanians kind of like push into being like, now you're fitting here. It, that's the reason why it's complicated talking yeah. about a single Zoroastrian world building. <laughs> I have no idea if I answered that. And here I was enough. expecting religion to be simple and straightforward. Oh God! As always. When, Ariel? When? When did it happen? When, what do you mean? This is not how it works. Always. We need to. Well, after when we hang up, we need to chat a bit, <laughs> just for a moment. Yeah, tiny. Exciting stuff. And yeah, and okay, so that's a good, uh, interesting overview. And I was also curious to see what happened. Yeah, what happens on the opposite side of Ahura Mazda? If you could spend a couple of words on who who lives there. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> do, do you mean you mean uh, um, Angra yes. Mindju? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Excellent cackle. Yes, I I really like his presence. So, all right. Do you remember I just said that? In the beginning, back in the beginning, there was order versus chaos. So the concept of order was represented by Ahura Mazda. And then the concept of chaos was represented by Angra, mind you. That literally translates something like the darker spirit, but not dark in the sense of like <laughs> dark, like dream, dark, aesthetic, dark academia. No, 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 no. It's dark in the absence of light, kind of dark. Like night, mm -hmm. no light, dark. Like, this dark spirit represents the opposite of Ahura Mazda and the same that Ahura Mazda has the Yazatas and the Fravashis and the Immortals to aid him. Angra, mind you, had the Daevas, who are the spirits connected to uh, drought, winter, the wind. There's like a million Daevas in the world, like a million. But see how everything was prepared to turn this religion into a conflict of good versus evil. It was there. Yeah. Like the, the... The groundwork was the there. The main yeah, ingredients were laid out. Yeah. So this is, this is, uh, I'm going to mind you, and, um, and the Daivas, who are the other spirits. For example, we would say, if a spirit could produce rain, we have Tir, who is a Yazata connected to... Uh, ah, I forgot the name. It's Canopus. Uh, Sirius. Sirius, the, mm -hmm. the stars, also also known as uh, Canopus. These star would bring the benevolent rain to make crops grow. The opposite, if the rains were so hard that they would drown the crops, that would be mm -hmm. a diver. Or if we had a drought, that would be also the work of a diver. The cold that freezes crops and kills plants, that is also a diver. And uh, the mythology of the new year, Noruz, that is in in the Iranian in the Iranian milieu, has a very powerful connection with also the the daevas and the cold um, and the winter and the snow. So they're there; they exist. 
there and they're important but it is only with the Sasanians that they start to get personalized and feared. There's one diva that I really like that is called Vizaresha, and their name literally means they who drags. Oh, because good. this is the creature in charge of dragging the souls from the bodies to bring them to the home of the worst purpose. It's not hell, it's the home of the worst purpose. Mm. So, and I really like it because it's frozen. You know, hell is normally burning in this Judeo-Christian background, these flames that uh, deal with the souls of the sinners. In the Zoroastrian late thought, this idea of a place where the wicked go was cold and completely immersed in the absence of light and uh, frozen because fire was esteemed so positive in mm-hmm. in Zoroastrianism. Which brings me to the question number two. Can we say that Zoroastrians are fire worshippers? No. They don't worship fire. The fire is not a deity, but the fire is the spark of life. And the fire is the manifestation of Ahura Mazda's life into the world. Everyone has a little fire burning inside mm. of themselves. That's nice. It is what brings us life. So they take care of a fire but they don't worship the fire. That makes sense. Very nice. And uh, yeah, okay. So you've mentioned uh, several Yazatas. Uh, which yes. is your favorite? Please tell us about them. <laughs> Who is it? This is cheating <laughs> because I like a lot of them. Wow. Hard decisions must but... be made. No, it's not a hard decision. <laughs> I am playing. I, I am playing Roof. It's not. It's Berethrag now. He's my favorite. I love him. He's just, he is fantastic. He's the Azata that embodies victory. Mm. Always that's, a good that's one him. to have. He is, he is the idea of victory. And the reason I love him so much is because he comes to Sartosht in seven shapes. He presents himself in seven shapes. Um, A lot of them are animals, but one of them is a sort of a bird of prey. Some translations say raven, some others say hog, but it's it's a a kind of a bird that's a predator. And this bird has some feathers. And legend has it that if someone was to get a feather from Berefragna and rub it around their body, they will be protected and no harm could ever come to them because they are protected by the spirit of victory. And this legend moved in time and in the local folklore to the Shahnameh. And this is where we have the feathers of Simurg being an oh, amulet of protection okay. for Zal. Oh, I see. It's very good. Ta-da. Like I like that. That's very nice. <laughs> it's, we've come full yeah. circle. Also, Look at that. something... <laughs> yeah, it was all that is diff- something that is different from the Yazatas and all their mythologies is that they don't interact directly with humans at all. They don't like humans. Oh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I'm I sorry. mean they they <laughs> <laughs> in, in the sense we are normally the first exposition of mythology for people is Greek yes. mythology. And gods and demigods and creatures are always there. They they blend with humans no problem. They live with them and they interact. Then we have 
Egyptian mythology, which would be like the high fantasy of the genre, gods interacted with themselves only. And then Norse mythology, in which, again, deities interact with themselves only. The Yazatas, they exist. They they don't... They present some of themselves to 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 uh, to Zoroaster to Sartosht, and there's some legends about them. But the mythology is not constructed that way. If I am sorry, you said I hope I'm making in sense Norse mythology the gods don't interact with humans, but they do. Oh, they do. I mean, I, I'm no expert whatsoever. I, I, um, I'm not sure about. Well, it. There I know are myths some of the stories of... I learned. They are about gods. Yeah, yeah there are myths of Odin walking the earth disguised as uh, a yeah. wanderer or some sort of um, the word eludes me essentially a tramp like a yeah, like a yeah. beggar and then, like, uh, uh... either tricking people or like testing them yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, I might be. I didn't know that. See, I I might be wrong. I haven't read up on my Norse mythology in a long time. (laughs) Oh, trust me, you know much more than me about Norse mythology. But the the stories I know are about you know the giants. Yes, uh, there there is a lot of stories of just the gods within themselves, just you know figuring things Mm. out for themselves. And we we are used to that kind of narrative, meaning that that use of mythology was very, yeah, narrative. I'm telling you a story, so you yes. learn the morale of it. There's a lesson to be right, learned in the stories. While in the Zoroastrian, yeah, in the, in the Avestan texts, not really. They're there. They appear before Zoroaster and they explain who they are. And um, that's basically, it's sometimes uh, Zoroastrian, <clears throat> sorry, the, the writer taking the words like playing the words of the Rasta says that they do these or that. For example, when when he talks about uh, when the Rasta talks about Eretragna, he explains this is his tasks, this is what he do, and this is how he takes care of humanity. But there's no a narration. There's not a beginning mm-hmm. and an end. That's another indication of how they were not primarily conceived to have a beginning and an end, and. I, I hope I am making sense. I hope I'm explaining myself because it's a little bit difficult. But the point would be that it's different. The way of constructing narrative and uh, creating mythology is very, very different. That's why you don't usually, if you Google Iranian mythology, it would point towards the Book of Kings mm. because there is this kind of narration that we are much more used to and it's very common to other mythologies japanese mythology is very story-based mm. and um also the um south asian uh, mythology is very history like story narration based but in zoroastrianism there's not that much of a narration the start to appear stories when influenced by other uh, courts the um, the faith requires of these stories mm-hmm. just you need to one thing you can need to think about is that a religion changes according to the necessities of the people, or the followers of this religion. So at some point, this Mazdan cult required of these stories and these narrations, and this is later text in which you see how the stories are put together mm-hmm. differently. 
but we don't have such thing as the Yazata Ragna being the protagonist of a story or performing a great deed or no, it's just there. If you wish to read all of this, you can. <laughs> Hooray. Because everything, Hooray. It, yes, everything is translated and for free in my favorite page in the whole internet of things is avesta.org. Everything. You have all the Avesta there. Consulted. It's free. You are going to enjoy it a lot. And that's a part in which you can learn about the Yazatas. Because you may be thinking, if there are not stories... How can I learn about them? How do I read about them? There's, and this is a word that is super complicated for me to to say in English because I'm not a native speaker. Hymns. hymns right. Oh, hymns, yeah. Hymns. and Hymnos. Yes, hymns. <laughs> this, exactly. These hymns written to the deities, to the Yazatas, to praise them, to describe them, to explain them to other people. This is where we learn about the Yazatas, and many of them have their own, and it's very, very nice reading. So you can find them, all of them, in avesta.org. We will great. link Thanks. that. We will in the add notes. links for that in, in the website. So if anybody wants to consult that, please do. It sounds really cool. So that's very nice. Thank you. And um, okay, so an another question we could ask is. Are there any specific practices that come out of Mazdaism? Anything that is done differently than what you would expect? Any specific method of worship or any other societal behavior that is there? Something that really uh, strokes people when you see about it, like when you explain this, is well, there's a, the 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 praise of fire and the importance of fire. It's something that you know calls the attention a lot which is, I, I understand why it would be like, oh, this is different. The people worshiping fire, they don't worship fire, but they gather around the fire and fire is important. But it's a symbol. You can take it as the the qibla, the, the qibla wall in a mosque that, you, that the Muslims pray towards. That's a symbol that is pointing towards Mecca or the crucifix in a Christian, in a Catholic church, for example, you, you, uh, pray towards the crucifix because it's a symbol of your faith. Same happens with the fire. But uh, the practices change a lot throughout these centuries of devotion, as you can imagine. One practice that is also very famous is the laying down offerings for the different immortals and Ahura Mazda. This is called the uh, Heptad, meaning the seven. And these seven would be Ahura Mazda and the six immortals. And these offerings were put together in front of an altar because you would, first of all, address the, the Ahura Mazda, then the immortals, and then the Yazata, the day was... Um, what's the word I'm, I'm trying to use here? Dedicated. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, it's um, it will come to my mind. And if not, it was a lie. <laughs> um, this, this day was dedicated to us. Apparently... And based on the sources, Zoroastrianism advised on having a vegetarian diet. They were very, very intense about that. They did not consume that much meat. That Again, that isn't the sources. We cannot take for granted that people did not eat meat based on just the, 
the the written sources that we have first because there's a lot of time in between the sources put together and second because sometimes circumstances are stronger than the faith so i don't know but that is a detail that people normally are surprised about another one is the exposition of dead bodies okay <laughs> yes you have my attention now yeah <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I saw your eyebrow <laughs> right a bit like, oh, I'm listening, I'm listening. So the earth, the soil, is an immortal. It, she is, well, yeah, she is an immortal. She's someone in, in Zoroastrian belief. The earth is sacred. And, and I'm trying to find on Google this image because I, I want you to, to see it. I, I think it would be, uh, I will send it to you. Um, so Spentarmaiti is the earth and the earth is sacred, meaning that the earth should not be corrupted with any humors or liquids emanating from humans. Okay. And a very despised and horrifying liquid humans produce is blood. Blood is the big no-no in Zoroastrianism. It's like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Not today. Not today. So if the earth was to be stained and dirty with blood, it was terrible. It was, they could not allow this from happening. Uh, they could not uh, allow it from happening. That was not a dream. Allow it to happen. In English. They could not. Yes. Thank you, Sariel. <laughs> Again, um, English is not... English is not connected today. <laughs> it's fine. This what you're hearing is chat GPT. <laughs> uh, it, the AI got in there so, and it's scrambling your brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what they would do is they would take the dead bodies and bring them to a place normally um, a, a wasteland or somewhere that was not fertile soil and leave the bodies there and allow nature to do its job. And then the predators and the mm -hmm. scavengers will come, eat the meat and leave the bones. When the bones were clean, professional people, because this is not anyone, they were professional dead and corpse handlers. They will get there, retrieve the bones and keep them in these osseries. Because in Zoroastrianism, the the soul is thought to believe inside the, the marrow, the bones. Okay, nice. There's a word. The, what is the word for the marrow? The marrow. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Marrow. Amazing. This is where the, the soul was to be. Which stored. kind of, you know, over time checks out with the, what we know of physiology because that's where you keep right? uh, your uh, stem cells and where you make your blood. So, yeah. Uh, you know. Uh huh. <laughs> cool. They had a point. They had a point. <laughs> Yeah. Over time, these places of exhibition, at first, it could be anything. It could be just a wasteland, a mm -hmm. bunch of rocks. But over time, there was specific architecture for it. And these are called Dagmas, or the famous Towers of Silence, mm -hmm. which were towers in the outskirts of cities with a platform that was slightly inclined towards the center so the humans mm -hmm. could descend and be piled up there. And you can, if you Google uh, Towers of Silence, Yazd in Iran, there's two, three, and a little fourth one that is almost destroyed. These belong to the 19th century. They're very late, Dagmas, but they're very good examples of what these places would have looked like. The first uh, 
the first mention to Adachma that was specifically being built, we have it in a letter from the 9th century written by the Zoroastrians of Zamarkand mm -hmm. asking for permission to buy the Adachma and they were given permission. So, you know, there's evidence of this being practiced a lot. Also, connected to this is a figure of the vulture. The beard or golden mm. vulture in Zoroastrianism is of very course. important. These are very important birds because they, they clean the, um, the natural cleansers and they were thought to be deities and, and sacred because they come, they eat the flesh, they drink the blood and they leave the body spotless. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay, thank you. That was very interesting. It's fascinating. Good to know. It is. I mean, the afterlife in Zoroastrianism, you could, you, I could give you info to full three, four, five episodes. <laughs> it is incredible. The concept of the you afterlife. You want to know yeah. more, sadly, since we do not have four episodes for this, just look up Plumas de Simurg online and go ask her. Yes. <laughs> She'll be happy to tell She'll you. She'll definitely do interesting stuff about it. It'll be good. I mean, it's a nice religion to learn about because when you are led to the afterlife, if you've been good, you are led by dog Aww. spirits. And I love dogs. <laughs> Very That's nice. I like Puppies. that. Yeah, it's 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 in the details. It's in <laughs> that's, the that's how they won you over. I see, I see. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's there's nice dogs in this bridge. That you have to cross, well, not you. Yes. Your soul has to cross a bridge, and if you've been good, there's these doggies. I always imagine. Have you watched the film, the Song of the Sea? It's an animated yeah. film about two brothers and a brother and, and yes, a sister. I haven't finished it sadly, but I do know it because I'm a big fan of The Secret of Kells, which is by the same people. Yes. So you, you, I don't know if you remember, the, but there are these spirit dogs mm -hmm. that appear at some point in the Song of the Sea. I always imagine oh. these dogs to be like that, like translucent, big, mastiff-like dogs. Like, ah, yes, yes, please, all the time, <laughs> anytime. Yes. All right, so let me recap. The, the best heaven of spirit. As, you know, the person who's actually learning all of these, uh, this for the first time. We've learned that, uh, well what we knew from before, which is that with this new dynasty, religion is going to be intrinsically linked to the identity of uh, the words today are just not there, man, <laughs> of the region. Um, and also is going to be linked to the government and is going to have power because there's going to be a new class of citizen, which is the priests, which are going to have a lot of influence in what is going to happen politically. We've learned that uh, regarding uh, the afterlife and the and um, dying, they don't want the fluids of the flesh to like stain the earth because the earth the earth is sacred and it's a immortal being so your bones must be cleansed of yeah she's one of the yes, six immortals your bones must be cleansed and yeah. then your bones are put away um the concept of hell is a frozen wasteland or the concept of where you mm -hmm. bad people go after they die <laughs> exactly uh it's they, it is not a monotheistic uh, religion, even though it does have a main mm -hmm. god. 
but also lots of different mm-hmm. gods and spirits for different things. Uh, and it's also very yes. centered around fire, and fire has a very good connotation because it's like the spark of life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yes. And that their stories, they don't focus on individual stories with a moral to teach, as in, like, oh, this is what happened. And now from this, we learn that you should behave this or this other way. But it's more these uh, deities mm. are do not interact with humans necessarily. Or they. Do they? Well, it's. They don't yeah, in they a don't direct way. Appear... Meaning, for example, Beretragna, one of his shapes. Yeah. Exactly. One of right. his shapes is so a they camel. don't appear. And, and he can be and as deities around. and uh, interact with humans as such, but but they might like interact with the world, as you said, in different shapes. And mm-hmm. instead of particular stories with a moral, it's more of an idea of these entities exist, and the world works the way it does mm-hmm. because they exist. Exactly, and they will guide you. Mm-hmm. towards what you have to do because it's something is also super important in Zoroastrianism is telling the truth the asha not not lying the 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 real truth to be honest is like the thing so all these deities explain to you how to pursue this path and be righteous and not lie it is very funny because that I was about to mention. <laughs> in his speech he is an accord and I quote a defender of the uh-huh. truth. And he uses he uses that word. He uses the word Asha, which is like the Zoroastrian, the Mazdian derived word, like the Asha of Ahura Mazat. So it's like it's yes, a mirror it's movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized it it um dislodged from like the upper part of it, so it was like wobbling. It's fine, okay, it's not gonna fall. Fine. I just know. Yeah. Just a little poltergeist. Oh my and... god, there's another there's another gin yeah. living in your hood. <laughs> oh my gosh. How are you so chill about it? Because I know why it happened. Because I fixed it this morning. There. And, you know, I didn't fix it well enough. It's all it's all fine. I was wondering what the noise was. But, like, once I saw it moving, I was like, oh, okay. It's just that. That's okay. It's fine. Not my circus. <laughs> not my gin. Not my circus. Not my gin. Okay. So... <laughs> also, also, yeah. So they they value the truth. You were saying, even though mm-hmm, then, yeah, to, for them, <laughs> that, that I was oh, sorry, I, yeah, uh, exactly, yeah. But for them, every every person was pure in the sense of children were pure. They they were not naturally inclined to lie. Which is very curious yeah. to say about kids. Because I don't know but, if that, but, but, you know, but I get the the purity and the and innocence. Then, of, you have been yeah, in this exactly. World for and as they and as time. as humans, yeah, and as humans, you had to choose what mm-hmm. to do. And also, we haven't. Like, I I wanted to mention now that we are finishing. Also, three. If you if everything escaped of what we said about the rationalism, if things were a little bit complicated, which I get, remember these three things: good thoughts, good words, good deeds. This is the Zoroastrian mm-hmm. creed. This is the three rules a person has to live by, because everything starts with a good thought. Then it transmit to a good word, and then you do good actions and perform the good Mm -hmm. in the world. 
one of the deities, for example, one of the sacred immortals is the good thought. Mm. How beautiful <laughs> is that? You have a deity only dedicated to a nice good wow. thought. Because to them, everything starts with a good thought. And contrarily, these deities has its counterpart. That's which is the bad thing thought, I wanted to add. Everything starts I with forgot, a bad thought. Uh, yes. in, my, in my summary, it's a religion that is very well set up for having an evil versus good dynamic. There's always a counterpart. In the in sense the, of. In the, in the yes, but also in the yeah, sense yeah. of an equilibrium. Of there is only one thing because there is a, the absence of it. And so you have. Exactly. Yeah. The closer you are to the Achaemenid times, it's much more order versus chaos, and then it evolves. And by the time these sources were put together, you can read the words evil and mm -hmm. righteous. So and, there's and a moral, yeah, there's a moral of, that comes into yeah. it of like, this is correct and this is incorrect, or like, we should strive towards this instead Definitely. of that. Which I like much less than the, the feeling of there is an equilibrium and you can only have one thing because you know the absence of it. Not in the sense of, oh, there's yeah. a silver lining or like, oh, you need in... to be sad to also be happy. I don't believe, yeah. like, that is just so people can justify. It's a little bit too black Yeah, or that's white just so people can justify yeah. suffering. And I don't, I'm not about that. But I understand the equilibrium. If, you, if you're interested of, in that, you know. if you're interested in that, there's this thought that Zoroastrianism really came. And this is why NATO plays such a major role in 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 mm -hmm. the religion. It came for an animistic type of religion. The animistic religions are those that believe spirits and this essence of life are inside everything in nature mm -hmm. around it. So this is what we think it could be like the germ, like the first seed of Zoroastrianism. And then also there's a super interesting debate in which the reform. All right. So <laughs> Zoroaster, we don't know if he really mm -hmm. existed or if he was created later, because as we were commenting before in the episode, religions needed a prophet and they uh -huh. created Zoroaster. We don't know. If he had been alive, he had undertaken this massive reform, quote unquote, in the religion and then separated himself and the what will become Zoroastrianism from the Indo-Iranian religion. And then there's a cut, there's a separation. And interestingly, the Devas, who are the nice entities in Indian and Indo-Iranian religion, become the bad guys. Oh. <laughs> and they are the daevas. <laughs> I always thought it was really fun how that happens, how there's just this switch between the two and it just changes out. It's quite radical as well. It's like, no, from now on, we're not going to believe anything our neighbors believe in because we are different. <laughs> okay. Not even the good part? So like, it's... um, You just... <laughs> no, none. <laughs> Some of the good parts, for example, Berethragna is a cousin of Indra. If you like Indian mythology, Indra is a god of lightning and also represents this concept of victory of, of not being able to be defeated. So Berethragna is mm -hmm. there. And also, it was my favorite, but I, we haven't mentioned. The Sasanian's favorite, who is Anahita. Yes, and I, I is very And good. she is, I always call her the Beyonce <laughs> of the Masian okay. pantheon. Because she, she queen, she legend, <laughs> she titan, she is 
incredible leyenda titana pantera <laughs> uh, she is the yazata of the sacred waters because there's this in this contrast situation the sariel was explaining there is the salty water that's there not so nice and then there's a sacred water that anahita protects and she appears in multiple reliefs because she is the bestower of the crown and the right to rule alongside her i don't want to say father <laughs> because i would have not but is not the father Creator. of the Yazatas, but somehow he yeah but he would be like the creator of mm -hmm. us all so some kind of dad figure i don't know but alongside with ahura mazda you can see anahita bestowing the right to rule in ardashir mm -hmm. and in many other kings and it's really interesting how she's she's there literally standing as a witness and also handing the ring of rulership of kingship this in this is it's literally a ring it is a metal ring with some beautiful laces mm -hmm. and ribbons and she's giving it to the king meaning she is the bestower of legitimacy. And that's the reason why the Sicilians like her so much. It's like, this is our deity. This is our Santa Patrona. And she says, we are the ruler. See, I made a relief and everything. And I put it up this rock so everyone can see that this picture yeah, yeah. I took of Anahita <laughs> and me. And then with other people come after, it's like, you see that? That's my mm -hmm. grandpa. With Anahita there. The gods, the literal gods the came down to say that we should rule. So if you yes. dare... Yeah. to go they, Exactly. If you dare to doubt us, you are doubting the gods. And can you live with that? Exactly. It, you put it perfectly. I couldn't have done it better. In fact, they, they go a step further and they represent Ahura Mazda riding a horse. There's debate about that one in in the Naksha Rostam. There is this not Naksha Rostam. Naksha Bostan. In Dakta Bostan. In Dakta Bostan, there's a relief of two horse riders meeting, and some people believe it's Ahura Mazda and Ardashir. Some other people uh, think it's Ardashir and another king. But the thing is, Ahura Mazda is there. Horse riding or not, there is th mm -hmm. there is a Huramazda in another relief. Also, there's Mitra, who is a very famous deity because he is the Yazata of the sun. Um, I always think about him as like a sort of a sibling to the other Yazatas. Okay. Again, these people just <laughs> pop they out exist, of the blue. They yeah. exist. Family not, dynamics, no, like oh, human family dynamics wouldn't really apply. Not really. And you don't have these beautiful stories in which, for example, we have the story of Aphrodite yes. and how she emerged from the seas. No, Anahita yep. was just there. <laughs> which like she's, makes she's more there. sense for she just know, exists. a deity, a, a being that is like immortal and powerful. Because... Yeah, she has this sense of unreasonable. She's also the, she appears in some stories of later texts in which you have this narration and she's there and she... Uh, she talks with uh, one of the most famous human heroes who is called Fereteona, who in time will be known as Fereidun. And she talks to him and, um, you know, but this is like the very later text. It's very interesting seeing all the stages of the Avesta, uh, who, which is the sacred text of Russianism, because you can see the evolution yeah, and the needs they were feeling. So That's very nice. All the Yazatas of your interest could be We've said Berethragna, uh, the victory, Anahita, the sacred waters, Mitra, the sun, 
um, Rashnu, the justice, Saroj, the obedience, and um, I don't know, Bayuata, the winds. Mm-hmm. So you see, there's not these, oh, they're all elements. Mm-hmm. They're also concepts. So whatever was important, I guess. Practically for, everything. For yeah, that culture. Very... Yeah, it's. Yeah. But practically everything could be Ayazata, so. <laughs> And you mentioned just before the interaction with uh, sort of Indian religions and that sort of area. Uh, how is their relationship with, for example, Christianity and Islam? How does that work? Okay, so definitely it works because those communities of these two religions living close in the, not not Islam, because Islam doesn't appear until mm-hmm. the 7th century, but definitely there's Nestor- Nestorian, yes, do you say in English? <clears throat> you have Nestorian Christians living close in Syria. There's this hub of uh, Nestorian Christianity. Also, the Judaism has been there forever and is this communities of Jews living under Sasanian rulers, and there's also communities everywhere. So the way they interact really depends on the moment we're talking about, meaning that while the Sasanians are in power and Zoroastrianism is their main religion, I am not sure if there are communities living in the Iranian plateau, but there must have there been. There were a lot of communities I, living I, in the Iranian, especially Mes- Mesopotamia okay, was a mixture of everyone at the same time. Yeah, because I, I don't know much about mm. that. So yeah, they were this com- there were these communities and people talk, they interact. The Sasanians were not that adamant about religious purity. Like the, the whole idea of a state was based on the religion, but it was there was no problem that there were others. And with the rise of Islam and the appearance of Islam, what happens is that this religion pushes Zoroastrianism, although there's communities that stay in Iran and live there. And we have notice of that because, for example, the person working in the Shahnameh before Ferdowsi was a Zoroastrian. And I mentioned these letters and they appear in censors and in sources. They were there. And there was this knowledge of them. People knew they existed and they knew the practices. Unfortunately, in the 16th century, with the appearance of the Safavids, that changes. And the Safavids are much more religious-centered, and they want to maintain this purity in their own state and in the land they rule upon. So they prosecute the Zoroastrians. So we can say there's two big moments of uh, exile, of running away of Zoroastrians. The first one would be when the Arab armies arrived to Iran and the Sasanian dynasty falls. And the second one would be in the 16th century, which is like these older migration and they moved uh, eastwards and they settled in India. In where today there is the biggest community of Parsis or Zoroastrians in the world. So, but they're still communities. I mean, they, even little, they are maintained. Nowadays, there is representation in in um, in oh, I I forgotten the like the proper word, but there is political representation of the Zoroastrians in Iran, for example. And when I was in Yazd, I was with the Zoroastrian community. They're still there. They're still doing practices. The fire temples are open mm-hmm. to people, so you can go. It was a very interesting yeah, very experience. Cool. I really liked it, uh, but. 
they've always been around somehow. This monotheistic religion, especially Judaism and Christianity, influenced greatly the the Masdian faith. And this is not something bad. This is something that happens. Islam also influenced Christianity greatly. Christianity influenced Judaism greatly. And that is the result of existing together in the same place. So it's um it's it's a, these kind of relationship in the sense that they, they were there and communities, I don't know if they intertwined or to what extent they did, but definitely they they were existing together. And also in the sense of Christianity, you can see in the end, like the later text of the of the Avesta, there's the figure of a savior, of a world savior that will come at the end of the world. Sounds familiar. Yes. I've heard that before. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited for that because it, I'm, I'm just starting the research right now, but there is one of our kings who claims to be the savior and just arrives and just says, hello, I'm here yeah. now. My my, my reign will last for a thousand you know? years. Why not? Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So that that's mm-hmm. that's going to be exciting to look into a bit further because wow. Yeah, <laughs> they were very nice. We you you have to love them. We have to love the Sicilians. <laughs> They're great. Yes, and I'm excited to go go through them now over the over the course of the next year or so. Should be able to go through them. All. I was gonna say. Yeah, the next hundred episodes. There's only like thirty-five or something. It's not that many, according to our legitimacy. They feel like a hundred. There's like at the end, there's like a lengthening of the episodes because there's like three years with twelve rulers, which is madness. But uh, but yeah, I I'm curious how I I don't know if you want to say this like on the podcast, but I'm curious about how how you you're going to cover that because it that is mayhem. That is is pure chaos. I am going to do. The current plan, at least, is to just go through them in chronological order. And I know there's somebody who leaves and then comes back. I will cover them last. Okay. So it's going to be a a hell of a mess because terrible decisions were made all the time. But but yeah, I'll try and do it chronologically. We'll see how it happens. I'm very excited for that part, especially because I am excited to hear Sadia's reaction yes. to the oh madness. I, I love especially how it ends. It's just that everybody decides, nope, that's it. We're done. We're done. Just yeah. pick someone. I don't care. Just go. You can't blame them, though. I mean, th- 12 kings, three years. Statistics really yeah, work no, against you. It's worse than Italian governments. It's, it's, it's not good. <laughs> but Yes. Can you say can you say that in the book? Eh, we've had a government every year since the war ended. It's you know, it happens. Okay. It's on Wikipedia, <laughs> they know. But, but there we go. This'll be fun. You know. Just just normal things. Yes, good fun stuff. And uh <laughs> Yeah, I think we've covered most of the points we had in mind. I don't know if, uh, Sariel, you have any questions or Plumas, you had anything you wanted to emphasize especially, but uh, on my side... I want to emphasize, I want to emphasize especially how pleased I am <laughs> to be here. And thank you for letting me just speak because I have no limit. <laughs> it's I great just to start have. and it's well, never great. ending. I'm so glad. <laughs> so thank you for the patience. And I hope that... 
something that I said had any sense. And thank you for inviting me and considering me for this topic, which I'm not an expert in, but I'm really, really passionate about. Yes. I mean, it's always great to have you. and You can tell that you're passionate. That's always a lovely thing to have yes. in somebody speaking to you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just uh, b- before going, unless Serial had anything else, uh, Plumas, do you have anything you would like to plug anywhere people can find you just so they know? Oh. <laughs> anything special coming okay. up? I don't know. Uh, ooh. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Good, to, good start. Uh, so they can find me on Twitch. If they Google Las Plumas de Seymour, I will appear on Twitch. And also I have a Discord server. People can join. It's lovely being there. And a Telegram channel that I use more like a board of announcements. So you can't miss, you know, you want to miss things. Sometimes I post about exhibitions and... Mm, in yeah, it's just like a board of announcements. That is how I use my Telegram. And also, there's a YouTube channel that I use as a library where I put all the videos from Twitch because I acknowledge people are not that familiar with the platform and they like listening to the streams in some other occasions. So, yeah, feel free to come, say hi, and um, I would love to meet all the listeners do they have a name i don't think they have a name we haven't nope. we haven't named them they are just the nameless fans <laughs> okay so i would be very happy to meet the nameless fans <laughs> we should come, come up with something better say hello to streams <laughs> i am aware that multiple of my butcher listen to you and uh we have a, a wide variety of fans among us <laughs> and i say us because i include myself we have teachers from uni we have students undergrads elders mm-hmm. and also we have kids there's a particular kid oh, that enjoys this lovely. podcast a lot thank you and um you know who you are <laughs> and, thank you uh, who you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh we're very big fans of the podcast so it's always great coming here it feels like coming oh, home thank you again so for inviting me i've been it is, yeah. I'm very, you know, you know me. I just don't say things because I say things because I really think them truly. And uh, yeah, again, thanks for listening to the Persoturra because this has been a turra <laughs> intense. And <laughs> well, that's the entire and point of this podcast. You should so come. Don't worry. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, your podcast could be called the Persoturra <laughs> yes. in Spanish. I guess. <laughs> And uh, I would love for you to be back on my own uh, Twitch channel, which you will be at some yes, point. It's always Humberto fun. has already celebrated Yalda yes. with us. Sariel, you're next. All I'm right, sorry. well, I'll, I'll get ready for that. <laughs> you have you have a community of fans to well, please. I must. Yeah. <laughs> Anything for the fans. Um, all right. Well, then, thank you so much, Plumas, for coming over. It's been lovely, as always. And, uh, yeah, for every for everyone else, for all our listeners, we will be having the episode on Ardashir the first next week. So you'll Exciting. be able to start and figure out who these Sassanids are oh and what, what their deal is. And, wait, does he slay a dragon? What's going on? Oh, all I that wish. sort of thing. You'll find out next week. Genuinely excited about yes, that one. Good stuff. Thanks for listening. Uh, and I yeah, hope it wasn't too have... chaotic. 
both for all of our <laughs> sakes and for the sake of Umberto editing this. Um, <laughs> so I Yay. hope I hope it Good turned times. out okay. Yeah, editing Umberto, we love you. <laughs> we appreciate your efforts. Thank you. I appreciate it even now. Uh, so yeah, so have a good week and uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Clap fist.